If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Hi, I'm Chris Richardson, host of Data Chats, and I'm very happy today to be speaking with Harish Krishnamurthy, president of Saeda. Harish, thank you for joining me. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit about Saeda and your background? Sure, Chris, and thanks for having me here. A um, little bit about Saeda. Saeda is a professional services company, and we think of ourselves with four uh, very strong services and technology pillars. The first is around IT advisory services, where we provide um, advice to our clients around IT strategy, data strategy, data architecture, those kind of services. The second pillar is around custom solutions development. So we take the ideas and then we help our clients implement those solutions as well. And we build custom solutions, end-to-end -end solutions for our clients. The third is around advanced analytics, where we leverage AI, machine learning, deep learning, computer vision, natural language processing, and the like to uh, sort through massive amounts of data and provide actionable insights to our clients and enable them through a solution development to take action with that. The last but not the least is around on-demand services where uh, we provide uh, talent to our clients where we uh, help them find the best technical skills to meet their specific project needs. Yeah, and so you have a wealth of background that I wanna ask you about, and I think our listeners would really benefit from your insights, but maybe we can start with just a big picture. When you think about the corporate world, where are organizations and businesses that want to be data-driven and are entering that space? Maybe they're consulting with you, or maybe you've seen case studies. Where are the mistakes happening when they, they decide they want to be data-driven, they go to somebody like you and you realize, okay, here are some of the issues that we need to fix right away. What are some of those? Um, I see um, most of the challenges are, are mistakes falling into three buckets. The first bucket is really around uh, treating this as piece parts versus a full broader approach towards dealing with the problem. The second is around not anticipating the change management that's required to implement something. You know, it's one thing to get have the data, get some insights. It's another thing to translate that into action and take uh, inner benefit from that. The third is around uh, not anticipating enough of the cultural aspects of getting things done in the organization in terms of getting buy-in and getting people to really understand what this is about so that they are incented to actually go do, to go implement that. I can go put on each one of these, but. Uh, yeah, well, I definitely wanna ask you about that and, and dig deeper into these and, and some of the white papers that you've written for Pragmatic that's available in our, in our show notes here. Um, but yeah, continuing with that, where do you see opportunities to make a significant impact when people are starting to think about these things. So you've, you've highlighted some key areas that are going to be 
addressed or that need to be addressed by many organizations. How does that process start when people want to start to address them? Uh, I think it starts with really taking a holistic view towards what needs to be done. Um, I, I give you an example of a client, very well-respected CIO of a financial services organization who came to us and said, we got to leverage AI and we have to do, you know, we have a bunch of use cases, but you know what? The most important is we need a data lake. And so we're going to go build a data lake and then go figure out the use cases. Mm -hmm. I give you that as an example of taking a deep dive into one particular aspect without looking at the overall solution. And ultimately we ended up having a broader conversation to look at what were the use cases? What, how did those use cases line up with what are the strategic objectives? Where do we want to focus? Where do we want to prioritize? And once we got a alignment on the use cases that made the most sense, the biggest impact to their overall business, then we backed up into infrastructure and data and what data is available where, and then, and then to what's the right in, uh, in a data lake that's required without necessarily building a big half a million dollar data lake, we really prioritized on what data elements are required for the use case that has the biggest impact to them. And then we started working on that thread, looking at that overall view. I'll give you that as one example of starting the process with looking at that overall view of what we're trying to achieve and then what are all the moving parts that need to be aligned to support that. Yeah, that's excellent. And I mean, one of the things that you mentioned in the white paper that you've written is that there are kind of two major elements. There's the data coming in and then there's the business question that wants that the, the leadership or the stakeholders would like answered. And it's tempting to, to focus on one or the other. How do we best address that? Or what would you encourage clients to think about when they have the question of data and the question of uh, use cases or, or business problems, how do you start to think about those things and to what extent should you focus on one or the other? I think we need to do all of them together, but I think we need to have the right approach towards uh, thinking about all of them together. You start with, you know, what's the strategic objective? What are the priorities for the company? What do we want to get done? Then you quantify that to say, okay, what specifically does that mean? What is the financial number that needs to change? What is the operational objective? And translate that to something very specific. The broader objective could be something like, I want to improve customer satisfaction. But mm -hmm. what does that really mean in terms of, you know, uh, is it acquisition? Do we need to acquire more customers? Does it mean improving NPS scores from 85 to 87? It's about getting down to those specifics in terms of what's the objective, what's the target, what are the numbers, what are the what are the objectives within, what are the specific objectives within that? And then you define the use case on how you can improve, and I'll take the same example, customer satisfaction. How do you improve the customer satisfaction? There could be two, three different use cases. And you look at which use case likely might have the most impact. Then you take that to, okay, if that's the use case that has the most impact, let's look at what data is available and what's the quality of the data. And I mean quality, I mean, there's different levels of quality. You want to look at, you know, the data itself and the quality of the data, but also in terms of what's the ability of the data to predict the outcomes you're looking for. Before you start building a massive model, spending a lot of money, you want to do a quick, a small proof of concept or a POC, really to understand, is the data available? Is the data relevant? How 
how predictable is the data towards the outcomes that you're looking to build. So I, I, I want to be able to think through all of those aspects before you dive into, you know, pulling the data and building a model. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a key concept that you have just mentioned and that we hear a lot is that you need a big picture view before you want to really dig into data. And I think especially people trained in data analysis want to jump into that data to start analyzing, but that's often a mistake if that's how you start because you're missing a bunch of pieces. I wonder if you could say a little bit about the people involved. I mean, you make the point in your paper that um, to the extent possible, all the stakeholders should be in the room and communicating with one another so that we don't miss out and we don't miscommunicate. Um, but what would, you know, in an ideal setting, and it's not always that, in fact, you know, there's, there's always challenges, but what would an ideal data team look like? Who would, who would be in the room? What kinds of people and what would their roles be generally? I would take a step back to look at <clears throat> what are the things that need to change at different levels? Who needs to make decisions? Who needs to implement them as well? So, um, it, you know, typically the executives will need to be involved. Which executives, which departments is it? It's not always the CIO. It could be, you know, the IT support department. So I would look across you know, what are the different departments that need to be involved? It's likely IT, operations, customer support, depending upon the type of uh, use case. So I would think about who needs to make the decisions, who is influencing the execution, and who is actually implementing that. Uh, and if I use the same customer success or customer service example, uh, it's going to be important to make sure that we have people from the customer service organization providing input on what that process looks like. What's the right number? What's the right objective? What's achievable? What's not achievable? And, and, and then incorporate their thoughts early on. And also very importantly, likely they are the people who would need to be making changes or actioning some of the, based on some of the insights that we'll be getting. They are the ones who would need to make a change in behavior in order to get value or benefit from the insights and from the data. So it's going to be important to include them early in the process. Now, there's different levels of inclusion, right? At one point, it's about getting their buy-in, uh, having them be prepared to make a change further down the road, having them understand uh, what, we're, what we're embarking on mm -hmm. and the rationale for that and why a change needs to occur. Uh, on the other end, it could, it, it, and those people don't need to be involved every step of the way, but at the right step so that we have that buy-in. On the other extreme, it could be the data analytics team who need to be involved every step of the way so that they hear the feedback, the comments from the customer success team, and are involved all through in terms of building, uh, the securing the data, building a model, and you know integrating that with the rest of the business. Yeah, I'm curious if you have examples or experience about what can go well when the teams are communicating in a effective way and having effective meetings and what can go poorly. I can imagine, especially, you know, busy people, as we all are in different organizations with different um, parameters in terms of what their role is, often saying, you know, I can't make this meeting, but it's fine. It's really an IT question. Or, you know, I don't want to be involved in the marketing because that's not my role, so I won't go to this meeting. And then we don't have that experience that you just spoke about. So how can we kind of make sure things go well? And what do we have to watch out for when we're planning those kinds of uh, sessions? 
So <clears throat> I'll give you a couple examples where things went well and things didn't. And actually, let me start with the latter. Um, we started on a major project with a, tech, uh, a high tech company where they uh, were dealing with tons of data. Uh, and this was about supporting their team to figure out what were the right training modules that their uh, sales team members needed to take in order to improve their skills in various different dimensions. And traditionally they're done with uh, being assigned certain things regardless of their past performance or uh, their objectives. And so this is a massive project dealing with thousands of uh, reps and tons of data in terms of history of what they've taken in the past and trying to correlate that with uh, performance and objectives and everything else. Mm -hmm. And we had different levels of understanding with the client. Uh, some had a very good understanding from a technical perspective, some uh, a not so good understanding in terms of what were the objectives and what were the next steps and the approach towards doing that. And so it was a fairly challenging project trying to bring everyone on the same page. Ideally, we would have had to bring all of them into the same meeting early on to level set and explain all of the things that I just described. So that was a, a situation where we didn't have adequate communications and it was very difficult. We did the initial model, but it was very difficult to take it to the next step because they had a different mental model in mind. And when they got what they got, it wasn't exactly what met their needs. And, and so it was very difficult to reconcile all of those uh, ideas together. Mm -hmm. On the other uh, other side, <clears throat> we had, in one of my roles at IBM, we built several complex models and rolled it out to different geographies and expected our teams to go implement and execute against that. And uh, as part of that execution, we spent a lot of time before and after, before the model was done and after the model was done, to sit down with the channel leaders and the sales reps for them to understand why they're doing this and what, you know, what was the rationale behind this and to a certain level, how it works so that we could gain their credibility. And I could see the sales team and the channel leader, you know, in Central Eastern Europe where he wasn't paying attention to it. And once he started to understand how this worked and the benefit that he saw from that, uh, light bulbs went off and he looked at me and said, yep, we'll get this done. And it's after that, that we started to see that his teams actually started to implement and make the changes that the model was asking them to do. It's getting that buy-in, getting that, that uh, you know, uh, aha moment with the team that actually needs to implement it is going to be really critical. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it, it, it sounds easy, but it can be very challenging. Have you seen ways to get people to accept buy-in or to, to get that aha moment? What tends to work? I mean, I would imagine different people respond to things in different ways, but have statistics worked better in your experience? Have uh, case studies or have, you know, an overview of the technology? What tends to work when you want buy-in or, or perhaps it needs to go to different groups in different ways? It starts with um, identifying uh, a reason for change. What is the issue? What's the problem? Why are we doing, why are we making a change? Why do we need to make a change? And why do we need to do it now? So uh, having them understand that status quo is not working or there's a reason for making a change is gonna be critical so we get their attention at different levels. Once, we, once, 
once the team is convinced that there is a need to make a change, then it's about outlining you know, the different approaches, uh, outlining what's the selected approach, why it makes sense, and gaining credibility for uh, the approach towards making the change. It could be AI, it could be data, it could be uh, a process change, it could be just about anything. And uh, to get that uh, buy-in at that point, once, once everyone's agreed that there's, hey, something needs to change, then having case studies, having examples of where this has been done, having uh, uh, credible uh, uh, data points of uh, why, how things, how, what kind of benefits that others have seen either in the same company or other companies is gonna go a long way towards getting them to get comfortable with making this change. And then third, showing them what they would need to do differently going forward so that it's not about completely throwing out the old and bringing in the new, or it's about making one minor change or, or whatever the change is, outlining to them pretty clearly what actually needs to change is gonna be really important. So I would think all of those three things, the need for a change, getting the credibility for that particular change, and then the fact that their behavior is gonna change only by a small amount or a certain amount, getting that clarity is gonna be very important. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I can see how that would be so important early on is to get that buy-in through the story of what it is that you're trying to achieve and why. Um, you mentioned uh, a study that 50 billion in 2020 is being allocated by, uh, by corporations on AI systems. And so there's clearly a lot of money being spent, but it's also amazing to me that so many of these fail in some way. They don't reach their intended outcomes. The, the money put in does not generate the money that they expected, the return on investment. I wonder if first you can talk a little bit about why that is. What are some of these issues about why AI is not immediately solving the problems that organizations hope to? And then I'd love to dig in a little more to how we can use AI in, in the most effective ways possible and try to generate the best returns on investment. Yeah, there are... Um... There are five, at a high level, five reasons why projects fail. And it starts with approach, not having a clear strategy and understanding of what is achievable, diving too quickly into the details without making sure you have a holistic approach. That's one of the main reasons why uh, often things uh, projects fail. The second is around design. Uh, it's really important to make sure that we have a good model design, the governance issues, making sure the model doesn't have algorithm bias and is designed to actually predict the outcomes that we're looking for. The third is implementation, a little bit of what we talked about earlier. It's about not having uh, internal support for full implementation. Um, the fourth is around trust. It's kind of related to that, but it's a different point. It's about getting trust uh, from the team to believe in the insights that the model is providing and uh, having that credibility with the team so that they actually go and implement it. And last but not the least is actually changing behavior. Uh, one of the main reasons I've seen projects fail is because of the inability to translate insights into action. It's great that you get insights, but if the behavior or if there's no action that's taken um, you know, on the team that needs to take an action, it's going to be very difficult to get any value from that. 
So those are the five primary reasons that we've seen. There's lots of other subreasons mm -hmm. within that. Yeah, and I mean, first to clarify, I think everybody throws around the phrase artificial intelligence, but how does an AI project differ from other data projects? Maybe we can clarify that, and then we can talk about how best to proceed with one, perhaps. That's a really good question. Um, I, I think all projects at a certain level can be considered AI as they get more and more sophisticated, but there are some very specific models that uh, are used within AI artificial intelligence for AI type uh, projects. So um, I'll, I'll take you back to my experience a few years ago when I was at IBM. We started with trying to understand the profile of customers or prospects that converted to customers and we had a spreadsheet. In the spreadsheet, we tracked all of the customers, uh, all of our past customers the last five years and tried to understand their profiles in which industry segments. And that spreadsheet evolved into using one of IBM's tools called SPSS to analyze that. At that point, that, would, that probably wasn't called AI at all. Today, that would probably be called predictive analytics, one of the areas of AI. And the models were based upon fairly sophisticated predictive analytics models. So um, to, to answer your question, uh, as the models gets more sophisticated, um, the key thing that I would look for is, is there, um, an, auto, is there an algorithm, is there a sophisticated, is there an, a, a mathematical or analytical approach to analyze all the data to identify insights from that so that someone can take an action and act on that? I think that at a very high level defines what, that there's an AI content in that. You can get much more sophisticated and look at deep learning, convolutional network models, neural networks, and machine learning models and the like. They're all different variations of more complex analysis, essentially you know, mathematical analysis for identifying patterns mm -hmm. and identifying insights from those patterns so that you can take an action. So how would you know if you are a, a perhaps a product manager or a vice president or even a CEO, how would you know that AI is, is where you want to go. Why, why would artificial intelligence be something that would likely help your business? And how do you know maybe it's not an AI project or maybe AI is not the right um, mode for this challenge? I would look at a couple of things. One, you know, be, um, in a situation where you have a ton of data that cannot be analyzed easily with one or two people looking at it and using spreadsheets, that now gets or a simple database that now gets to the realm of you need some other automated way to be analyzing that. Then you get a bit deeper into are there simple statistical techniques that you can use to uh, analyze the data and get some insights. It, that once you get past some simple statistical techniques, then you get into you know uh, algorithms that are looking for patterns versus we writing. Uh, looking at statistical programs to identify the pattern. When you have machine learning or more complex algorithms that are designed to identify patterns and identify the insights from that, that's when you're getting into an AI type project. And it's interesting, who, in, you, in your experience, who should be making that call? Because I can imagine someone at a high level who's looking at the, the corporate strategy, for example, might not know whether uh, machine learning would be most appropriate or not, or how much uh, how much 
specific, I guess, um, complexities involved in any particular question, but an IT department or a data analysis group might not be able to make those calls. So how do you, how do you know in terms of the team who should be making that and, and deciding on whether AI might be a good strategy or not? Um, I think it's going to be a combination of uh, folks looking at uh, this from a, looking at the challenge from an analytical perspective. Um, it could be executives who have some level of experience in data and analysis to be able to say, oh, this cannot be done with simple statistical or simple normal an analysis, analytical approaches. When we cross the realm of, you know, having data in a couple different spreadsheets to now getting to significant amounts of data. So I would, um, I would expect that uh, folks who understand that the level of complexity um, crosses a certain point, it could be folks in the IT department, it could be you know, in the finance department, it could be a marketing uh, executive or a marketing or marketer who decides, who determines that this is now much more complex to be handled by normal analytical techniques, or it could be, you know, uh, an executive who uh, realizes that this cannot be solved through normal techniques. It's about having a good understanding of what's the challenge that's being, uh, that needs to be addressed. Do we, uh, it, it, do we have sufficient data to be, uh, to be able to analyze that? Is there enough historical data for us to analyze and build uh, identifying sites from pattern? And then really looking at, do we need to bring in someone who is much more of a data expert to, expert to go analyze that? Yeah, and on the flip side of that, I can imagine a lot of uh, organizations want to be data-driven, they want to be innovative, and so they know that AI is innovative and data-driven, and so they say, let's bring in AI. Where can we fall into traps or, or at least spend far too much than we need to um, if you are bringing in AI, like what, what kind of things might it be a clear solution for and what kind of things might it not provide the return on investment you would expect? Um, <clears throat> I think it goes back to, um, you know, making sure in the very first step that I described in the, in one of the papers where we need to make sure that we are aligned with the strategic objectives. So this is about, um, uh, taking a high level pass at what are the business challenges that we're working to address? What are the likely outcomes? What are the, what's the likely return? What's the likely benefit from addressing that? What's the cost associated with addressing in, in, uh, in, in, in addressing that particular challenge and what's involved in actually implementing it as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about looking at all of that. If you can picture a two by two matrix that says, you know, here are all the use cases and the projects that need to be done. On one end is the benefit that you can get. Imagine the y-axis, the potential value, the benefit you can get. And on the other axis is either time to value or and or cost to get the return. Then you can start to look at and prioritize which projects need to be addressed. Then you look at complexity of the projects as the next dimension. So for simple projects, maybe you don't want to be applying more complex techniques and bringing in data science experts and data scientists and spending a lot of money and time to do that. For the more complex projects where the amount of data and the challenges are much more complex, that's when you wanna be looking at this two by two and say, okay, you know, is the potential benefit significant enough? Can I do this in a reasonable amount of time? And 
is it complex enough that now it requires us for us to be bringing in experts and data scientists and data engineers to go address that. So I would consider the use cases into a two by two matrix and prioritize accordingly. And again, after you do that, you may decide that here are the five projects that require data scientists and you know, uh, data engineers to go address. You may not want to pick out the one that's in the top right hand corner, the most in the highest value and you know, the most expensive to implement. You may want to do a crawl walk run strategy that says, let's do a project that provides value, but you can get uh, you can get benefit, but you can get it in a short amount of time. It may not be the biggest ROI, but it's something that you can implement pretty quickly. Get your feet wet, get some benefits, get some value, implement that, get, get some returns on that, and then go on to the next one as the team gets to understand the process, understands how to use and implement that. Yeah, that's a great point. And when you're thinking about creating a proof of concept or, or a trial, perhaps, what are some things that you should look out for? I can imagine that uh, obviously it's not the final end product that you're hoping for, but at least it it does what it says, right? It's a proof of concept. How do you know that you're doing that in a way that's um, that's best for scaling, that's best for moving forward? And when might you be, I don't know, we're looking in the wrong direction when you're doing a proof of concept? Yeah, I think uh, really uh, one of the mistakes that we see is we, we uh, clients end up, you know, you know, you want to, uh, address a very challenging problem, and you set out starting with let's build, you know, a large model, get a large team, and get and and start building a fairly complex model from the get go. Um, really important for us to start with the POC, and it starts with the discovery uh, effort in the beginning. We said, okay, what's the process? What's the data flow? What's the value? How does value flow? Where does value get created in the process? Where are the decisions that need to be made? Where are the information, where are all the information uh, in a hotspot? So once you have a good process flow, uh, that's a part of what we would do, at what, I, what I would call a discovery process. And once you have that view, then you start looking at, okay, where, what data do, you need to, do I need to get across the different points in order to make the decisions that I need to make or the outcomes that I'm looking for? And you build a POC looking for, again, you don't want to build the final model yet. You want to do a quick and dirty static model. It might be an Excel model. It might be, you know, one of the standard, um, you know, SPSS type models where you want to get enough data to be able to prove out that the data predicts, likely predicts the outcomes you're looking for. And, and build that to the point where you can actually start to get some insights. It might not cover all the analysis, might not cover everything you're looking for, but you want to get comfortable that the data has the ability to predict the outcomes you're looking for. Once you do that as part of that static analysis, you will, uh, you will be testing three or four or X number of models that likely would work for that particular situation or the pattern of data. So you test out those different models. When you're done with that, you will often have enough insights that you can go start acting on immediately. You might understand that a certain customer segment has a higher propensity to close. And so just having the team start to focus on that even before you build the entire model mm. might start to give you some benefits. So you start to get some initial insights that you can act on. And then once, you, once you've completed the POC, you have enough insights to then say, here's the direction you're going to go. In these particular areas, you may want to make more investments to get additional data or uh, you know, provide more 
investments to cleanse the data or transform that or, at, or acquire additional data that can shed more insight and then build a complete model, uh, you know, uh, and make the right investments over time. Yeah. Is there a rule of thumb for moving from that initial proof to a much larger final project? Does it usually take a certain amount of time or a certain number of iterations? What's, what's a good rule of thumb for making that transition? It, it really depends a lot on the individual uh, project and complexity. In a situation like, say, a use case around customer lifecycle, where it's fairly standard and they're, you know, most uh, companies have some uh, have done this in some form or the other. Uh, customer lifecycle is a very standard use case, and in those kind of situations, uh, you know, it's you can do a proof of concept within a few within a month to two months. Again, depending upon how mm -hmm. much data and how complex and how many geographies you're looking at, but typically you can do a proof of concept in a couple of months and then spend a month or two to actually build a build a model and implement that into the systems and integrate that. On the other end of, uh, on the other extreme, one of the projects we did with um, Bridger Pipeline, one of our major clients from uh, the last few years, uh, we were tackling with a really complex problem of trying to identify leaks and false positives in thousands of miles of oil pipeline distribution. And in those kind of situations where uh, there were a lot of constraints where you couldn't simply go replace all the uh, IoT systems with um, newer sensors and flow meters where you had to use existing systems. Very challenging. And we had to create a state-of-the-art deep learning-based system to now identify false positives using existing infrastructure. And that, in it, that POC took several months to make that happen. And then taking that POC and converting it into a production ready model took another you know, four to five months and then integrating that and moving that into and the ongoing operational system took a few more months as well. But that was a completely new uh, use case that we, uh, that didn't exist in the industry until then. So it, it depends very much upon the complexity, but hopefully that gives you a range of what is doable in a few months. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's really helpful. And that's exactly one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is in your paper, you talk about the customer life lifetime value and how in, in many cases, 80% of a company's future revenue can come from just 20% of existing customers. So that's obviously a really good thing to be able to identify early on. What is the customer's lifetime value likely to be? How can we predict that? Um, so that's a clear place where AI might be a really powerful tool. What are questions that a stakeholder might want to consider when, when they know they want to set up something? They, they, they're aware that an artificial intelligence project here might be really valuable. They're vaguely aware of what the current customer lifetime value is, but they know they could make um, more informed decisions based on, uh, on data and artificial intelligence. What are some early questions about setting up the project, setting up the parameters, that they might want to think about if they were going to do something like that? In a customer lifecycle type project, would be really important to understand what are the biggest challenges that they're faced with across four specific stages of the customer lifecycle. What's the biggest challenge? Where, where, what is the strategic objective of what they want to uh, achieve in those four stages? So the four stages are acquisition, acquiring customers, mm -hmm. onboarding, 
on onboarding the customers to start using that product or the service, ongoing engagement, getting value through the year before, you know, by the time it comes to renewal, and uh, and then retention. So understanding what is the priority and what is the challenge or the or the opportunity is going to be really important. Once you identify, for example, for one of our clients uh, in professional a professional services company where uh, their challenge was they were going to grow uh, four to five X in terms of uh, uh, leads over the next few years. And the last thing they wanted to do was uh, add five X number of sales and marketing reps. So they wanted to be smarter uh, about how they go about their acquisition process. And so their objective was to improve conversion rates and to uh, you know, utilize their sales, existing sales and marketing teams time very effectively. So in that situation, it was all about acquisition, understanding where the leads are coming from, which channels, patterns of which leads are likely to close, which types of which segments are likely uh, to close. And so we built predictive analytics models for them to understand uh, where which clients are likely to close. Back to your question, um, I think asking the questions around each of those four stages, understanding which is the highest priority for them, wherever you know they want to focus, you start with that, and then start looking at the data elements, what data is available, you know, what are the objectives of what we're trying to achieve, all of the same process that I just described. That's yeah, now someone with your background, you have a strong technical knowledge. I wonder if there are things that you wish other stakeholders knew in terms of the technology. What I see often is that uh, technical people and people who are more sort of um, strategic in, in other ways, not so much concerned with the technology, are often speaking two different languages. Are there things that you wish people knew more about the technology? And I wonder, I'll ask you the, uh, a preview of the next question is, are there things that you wish you knew more about in terms of, I don't know, business strategy or something where you can see how over the years, if you had known that earlier, it would have helped technical people communicate with the business people and the business people communicate with the technical people? It's a really good question. Um, on the first question, so I would look at, so you're correct. There's the business and technology are um, two complements towards achieving a particular goal. And uh, oftentimes there can be disconnects. I think getting alignment around what we're trying to achieve and really understanding, you know, the making, ensuring that we have a common goal across both the business and the technical object, uh, technical dimensions, I guess, becomes really critical. So what I mean by that is um, one of the CEOs, a good friend that we had been, uh, a good friend that I'd been having a lot of conversations with, um, very, you know, came up the CFO ranks and, you know, very uh, analytical uh, and uh, business oriented. Um, certainly not, I would call extremely technical, but, but you know, technical by uh, mm -hmm. a certain level, right? And uh, in conversations, he found out that there were ways to extract data from pictures and PDFs and drawings and the like. And he didn't know that it was feasible. And he hadn't embarked on a number of projects in the past because uh, he believed he didn't have enough of that data in order to execute those projects. And so our conversation resulted in an aha. I said, oh, 
I didn't know that I could extract this kind of data from pictures and drawings. If I could now pull all of the data into a more structured form, we can now, we have all the data we need to look at past patterns and make some really, get some really uh, great insights and make some decisions. So that's a perfect example of, you know, having a common objective. The objective was, you know, uh, a, a, there's a particular challenge and knowing that there isn't sufficient data or the data is difficult to extract. And um, we were looking at it both from a technical and a business perspective to realize uh, that there was a way to get around the data once we uh, agreed on the common objective of the challenge that he was faced with. So um, back to your question, uh, I think it is really about getting alignment on what are the issues, what are the challenges we're looking to solve? And um, the business person looks at it from one perspective, the technical pers person looks at it from a different perspective. Ultimately, we're trying to solve the same problem and, and tackle those issues. I think laying out very crisply how decisions happen, what kind of information is used at each point in the decision, uh, at each point in the process, understanding what information uh, is available at different points in the process, understanding how value is created and what are the challenges associated with uh, each of the steps in that decision-making, I, I think would shed a lot of light and bring everyone on the same page, independent of you know, technical or business or financial or marketing perspective. Um, I'll give you an example. One of the clients that we were working with, uh, a transcription services company, they were already using some level of AI, but they had a very complex process of allocating the uh, audio recordings to different transcribers uh, across their values, across their process. And, uh, after we mapped out what the process looked like and what are the different steps it goes through and how and when they make the decision with the level of information they had at that point, and it suddenly became very clear to us what were the challenges that they were faced with. And the overall challenge here was to reduce uh, gross margins by making sure they align the, co the complexity of the audio recording with the skill level of the transcribers. You can imagine you have uh, very varying levels of uh, skill levels of transcribers uh, and the cost, cost for them very significantly as well. So it becomes really important to make sure you're, you're assigning the complex uh, audio recording to the right skill level. So uh, getting the right data, getting in order to make that decision at each of the checkpoints becomes extremely critical. And but when we outlined that process and outlined all the decision points, and the data that was available, suddenly, you know, it became a common language for the CIO, the CTO, as well as the data scientists to have a conversation about what's the best approach towards, towards making those decisions. Yeah, I, I think that level that you're describing, that level of clarity and transparency among stakeholders is a sort of ideal that a lot of organizations want to achieve. If you could give advice to stakeholders who are engaging in some kind of data analysis project, maybe it's AI, uh, maybe it's not necessarily as complicated, what are two things that they could do this week, starting tomorrow perhaps, that would help them at least move a little closer towards that level of clarity and, and ensuring they get that return on investment they're looking for? What are two actionable things that they might be able to do? 
I would think the the big based on the biggest challenge of translating insight into action. Uh, with that uh, frame in mind, I would suggest two things. Uh, one would be educating your team on leveraging data and insight to make decisions. It's about gaining trust of the organization, and it starts at the very beginning. It doesn't start at the end. It doesn't. It, 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 it's not a process where you build a model and then go try to sell it to the team. Building the model is the relatively easy part. It's about getting someone, it's about getting, uh, educating them, getting them, them comfortable to make the decisions uh, leveraging the data. The second is preparing your organization to drive systemic action. Until a behavior change occurs down the road, um, there is no value if uh, in status quo. So you can have all the greatest insight, but if your team doesn't change behavior, it's going to be very difficult to get value. So preparing your organization to drive systemic action is going to be important. The first part was really about uh, educating them to leverage data on uh, data and insights to make decisions. But the second part is about understanding the process, understanding who needs to change what in order to go make uh, implement that in uh, knowing that well in advance is going to be important because then you know you need to reach out to that particular customer success rep or that team because you know that they would have to change something. And understanding everything that's associated with that, likely training would, would need to change, likely incentives may need to change, um, you know, technology might need to change. So having that view of what needs to change and preparing your organization uh, early to drive systemic action, that's going to be extremely critical. So those are two things that take a lot of time. Starting on those sooner rather than later is going to drive a lot of benefit from you know uh, building complex AI models and trying to implement them. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And this whole conversation has been really helpful uh, in clarifying a lot of things, I'm sure, not only for myself, but for listeners. If people want to check out more of your work or learn more about you, maybe contact you, uh, Harish, where would they look? Where would you encourage them to, to look? Um, I would look on the Saeta webpage, S-C-I-A-T-A.com, on my LinkedIn, Harish.Krishnamurthy on uh, LinkedIn. Excellent. I'm sure you'll get a few people at the very least contacting you. You're a wealth of knowledge. We could talk for hours and hours, but I know uh, our time is limited and you're a busy person. So I just want to thank you very much for participating in this data chat with me. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you.